Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I am excited today to talk to a guy that, well, we were buddies in college. And we played quite a bit of basketball together, probably too much basketball and too little study looking back on it. But I am talking to a pastor that I've been watching from afar for a decade or so, and that we've been buddies now coming up on. I, Bill, it's probably been like close to 20 years now. I mean, we went to college and I went to college, I think, fall of 02. Is that when that was your your freshman year? Is that right? Uh, yeah, that is would correct. Have, yeah. would have been fall of 02. So we're coming up. This is 20 years since we started college. That's, That's crazy. crazy. So I'm talking to Pastor Bill Rose. Bill, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Uh, enjoying, enjoy, well, I don't know how many listeners are from the North Carolina area, but we just had a 66 degree Sunday and Ooh. a 28 degree Monday. So <laughs> the weather is completely unpredictable. So I'm just enjoying the unpredictability of our weather right now and loving on my new little baby boy. That's awesome, man. How about you, man? What are you up to? Well, I had a good day today. Actually, I've kind of been running around a little bit more than I would like because I'm doing this thing on the side. I've got a couple gigs, kind of always have a few side hustles going on. And I'm trying to, one of the focuses of 2022 is a little bit, get a little bit more focused on the things that we need to be doing and get some of the peripheral things out of the way. And one of those things that I'm still working on and, and going to be getting out of here very soon is I'm a serviceman for this water mill, ice and water mill. And we've had some issues with that. So I've been over there today, had some meetings actually that canceled today, but I'm actually preparing for Hosea chapter eight, going to be preaching the whole chapter this Sunday. So that's the big thing today. So when oh, we get, man. yeah, when we get done with this, that's what I'm doing the rest of the day. And hopefully I'll have my outline done by the end of the day. Thursdays, that's when I want to have my outline done is on Thursday. But why don't we go ahead and pray and uh, we'll get to know you a little bit. We'll talk uh college basketball together. You actually played college basketball. We had a lot of fun with intramurals. We'll talk a little bit about that, and then we'll get into some ministry stuff. So, Father, we thank you for your for your grace that's upon us. I thank you for Bill and what you have been doing in him, what you've done in him over the last 10, 15 years. God, you've been doing some really great things, and God, I thank you for the lives that have been impacted through his life, through your working through his life, and then Holy Spirit, I pray you'd lead this discussion, help us to be encouraging to people, and God, I trust that you're going to do that. I think you're going to help us. I know you're going to help us because you promised that you will. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Bill, yeah. we kind of run in a little bit different circles these days. And so why don't you go ahead and bring my listeners up to speed. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your family and then what it is that you do. Well, actually, I'd like to start by letting everyone know that Jared was my role model in college because he had a three-pointer that was, he probably had the range of Steph Curry in college. And nobody knows this. <laughs> Uh, premieres with you, man. Uh, I remember I used to be like, I used to tell guys they could regard you. I'd be like, do not give him any clearance. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> Once he crosses half court, man, you got to be up on him. So those are the days. Uh, we all we all know that. Yeah, those everybody was ten times better at their sport when they were when they're forty. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Themselves, but those were the days, man. Playing playing ball together and hanging out. Before we get to basketball, tell us about yourself, uh, your family, and then what you're doing, where you're pastoring, and, and the church plan. Oh, tell cool. us a little bit about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm Bill. I, I pastor a little church called Oasis Church in Holly Springs, North Carolina, just south of Raleigh, which is like it was just named like the third best, fastest growing real estate market, et cetera, et cetera, and all this stuff. And so um, it's a booming little town. A lot of people are moving here, people mostly from up north. 
um, and a whole lot of people who don't know the Lord in various ways, uh, whether it's because they grew up religious, you know, the phrase like I'm a Jew or I'm a Catholic can sometimes be like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm a Catholic. You know, it's like, but they don't really have a relationship with the Lord. Um, and so we're, we're seeing a whole lot of people come into town and just getting to know people and trying to get this church established and rooted in our community. Been doing it for about eight years. Awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, man, I love it. That's cool. That's really cool. So yeah, that now to pass it back to you, yeah, a little known fact about Bill Rose is that there was a group of us in college that really wanted to play college ball. And Bill was one of the two, you and Noah, I think tall, skinny Noah, yeah. you guys both yeah. ended up playing and we all were just so excited for you. It was like this one, one of the, one of the guys, the intramural guys actually got to make the team and uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, but we had a lot of fun and uh, you know, we spent a lot of time playing ball together, but now it's neat because you leave college and these relationships that are formed, you, you know, you walk away from those relationships and friendships and you don't really see people anymore. And then I think right before you planted Oasis, like maybe even right before you started the process, we talked on the phone and we had planted maybe a year before then. And somehow or another we reconnected, but to be able to see you plant and then you guys had some, what seems like pretty explosive growth pretty quick. And then it seems like there's maybe after COVID a corner turn a little bit, but it seems like uh, it's just been neat to see, you know, what the Lord's been doing with you over the last 10 years. And that's really one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about, you know, how Oasis started. And then on a recent post, I saw something about how things changed pre or like you're half the size you were pre COVID than you are now post COVID. Just tell us like everything that's happened up to the last eight years. And then I want to ask you a couple of questions based on some posts that I've seen you make over the last six months. So I was a, you know, the classic, like a, uh, kid out of college who had these big visions and uh, I went to a couple of big church conferences and got uh, excited about some celebrity pastors and sort of became fanboys of uh, all these guys that were doing ministry and their ministries were growing and and it was cool because they were very technologically advanced and they had a big following and their sermons were getting viral views and all of that so I just sort of jumped right onto the bandwagon of sort of mainstream Christianity and uh, consumed it and uh, uh, I went to every training and conference and whether it was Acts 2 or 9, um, gosh, ARC, um, I could keep Stadia. I mean, I went to multiple of these uh, planting conferences and trainings and stuff. And uh, I was youth pastoring in my late 20s. And my senior pastor had a desire to be a church planting church. And he sort of pegged me as somebody that he saw a future in that. And so he supported us and uh, put me up on stage and said, hey, Bill's going to plant a church and we want to gather a group together to go do it with them. And so in the beginning, it was very like exciting. And we were doing all the things that we learned at these conferences. Right. I, I just downloaded the playbook that was given me and just executed that. Uh, and I didn't think much about at the time, like the theological framework or underpinning uh for those playbooks that I'm that I'm downloading, and so we just we just literally ripped the pages out of Ark's launch uh, plan and um, started the church in 2014. I gathered a core group of I don't know maybe 30 to 60 people, depending on if you count kids. Uh, back then I was counting pregnant women twice as well, so everything got a count. Um, and uh, we launched and we launched big. I mean, we did a bunch of marketing, a ton of advertising, all the like I said, the rules that were given us and like 400 people showed up, 
preached a sermon that, you know, looking back, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I would never preach it, but it, you know, we saw people respond and join the church and get engaged. And so the church immediately from the start just was, I think we were also planting in a town that didn't have one like that, like ours. And so it was also a big advantage to be able to show up in this populated area and start a new church that people were probably looking for. And so literally from the start, we started seeing people meet Jesus and get baptized. And that was about it. And I don't think uh, we saw a lot of people grow deep in their faith, but um, but we were pretty good at gathering a crowd. And um, and so for two years, the church exploded. I mean, it grew up to, I mean, it grew down and then back up. So it was like 400 to 200 back up to like 600 people. And then um, one day on Easter Sunday, actually 2015, my wife disappeared. Mm. And uh, I was like, what, what's going on? And I was really home from church and uh, she had been out hanging out with some people. And I want to spend a lot of time talking about her, but um, ultimately uh, I learned through, through some time that she was feeling so unsettled because of the work I was putting into the ministry and into the church. And because of my time away from home, I had personally created a culture in our home that allowed for, you know, unchecked sin, essentially. And she just would rather be with some other people. And so she she was kind of dating around and seeing people. And uh, so literally the whole second half of year two of ministering, I was dealing with all kinds of marital turmoil and conflict and issues were arising. And it was just devastating. Um, and uh, that ultimately ended up leading to a divorce. Was half the church was confused and, you know, found other churches or walked away from the church or whatever. The other half of the church was so gracious and so caring and loving and just ministered to me um, and really tried to take care of me through that and, and her as well, but primarily me. Um, and we weren't able to restore the marriage, but um, but the church somehow like survived all that. Uh, I actually resigned uh, my supervisor. I'm a part of a denomination called Foursquare. And the way our church governance is set up is... Um, I have like a district supervisor, which sort of functions like a bishop. And my supervisor got my decision to email and said, hold on, don't resign yet. Let's just take some time off and let's work through this together. And after they investigated and did a lot of stuff, sent me away for some counseling and stuff, um, they were they asked me to stick and stay and keep pastoring. So I did. Um, and uh, the team that I had around me was incredible. They kept things running. It just, it just coasted. So if we could just make Sunday work, we could do we could keep keep moving well we got through that um i started getting healthy again personally my team stopped focusing on me started focusing again on the mission um, and our church started to grow a bit um again uh, i ended up getting remarried a few years back um and our church has continued to grow and flourish and do really well when we got to covid so our church is portable we've been setting up and tearing down for eight years in a, in a high school uh, we started in a middle school, but we, you know, this high school that we're at has been so accommodating to us. We show up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning with trailers. We leave at 2 o'clock in the afternoon with trailers. So everything, three huge trailers full of equipment. Our t team is so dedicated. Um, and uh, because we're portable and because of COVID back in 2020, we were completely homeless. Uh, hmm. The school system yeah. shut down. They wouldn't allow us to gather. And so we spent 15 months in 
doing online services. Oh just my! Office setting up a camera, uh, playing some music, and preaching to an online audience. Wow! Begging our church to gather, begging people to come to get in houses together, begging small groups to gather. Uh, many of them uncertain and unsure. Of course, you saw how the news divided everybody. Uh, mm -hmm. That was our church was just completely split over this stuff. And uh, over the course of that 15 months, our church just dwindled and dwindled and dwindled in size. And I call it the year that like hurt my feelings. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was just dealing with all kinds of abandonment stuff, feeling like friends who I thought were committed, weren't seeing people post photos of them at other churches, you know, and we couldn't gather. So they just found other churches that could gather, mm -hmm. which I think is the right thing to do for, I probably would have done it for my family. Right. Um, so anyway, that's a, a whole long story to get to this point where through COVID, man, I just started second guessing everything, all of my motives, all of my intentions, all my theology, uh, why I do what I do. Why, what are my behaviors as a pastor? What's my mm -hmm. weekly rhythm look like and why what I really try to accomplish and I think through that time of just living in the shadows I just started to recognize some really unhealthy things about my own self that that I had seen a glimpse of previously but I hadn't really had the courage to deal with it or the audacity to kind of confront it mm -hmm. um, and so on the back end of COVID when we relaunched church we started doing these Thursday night gatherings and another church 15 minutes away. Um, and then the school reopened and I told myself I'm doing it differently this time. Hmm. So, so this has been a wave of me deciding I'm going to do church. I'm going to listen to God and do what God says and continue to explore the roots of, of our church and uh, re rebuild this thing on a really healthy foundation because yeah, I don't it's good that we built the church in a way that it didn't set us to the people that I know love dearly. They, they, they don't have faith. They don't love Jesus. They obviously don't love the Lord. And I can see it now. Hmm. I disciple them in a way that prepared them for that year. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So it's in the middle of this that I started recognizing some posts that you had been making. And the first one that got me was the probably the back half of last year. Now it's 2022. It was probably, I don't know, four or five months ago. And it was right alongside you know, we're a Southern Baptist church, probably for not very much longer, but there was a big plagiarism scandal with Ed Litton, the president of the Southern Baptist convention, where he was preaching other people's sermons, not giving them credit for it. And then I jump on Instagram and I see a big post four or five pages long uh, where you were talking about how you had done that, that you had preached other people's sermons. You just took the, you know, the canned thing that was given to you and then you preached it. And that you're not doing that anymore. And my attention perked up a little bit. I was thinking, okay, Bill, that's good. Number one, thanks for your honesty. But number two, something's happened where you're turning a corner where you're realizing that wasn't right. And I want to do things in a different way. So I'd love to hear about when the light bulb went off for you, where you were thinking, you know, that probably was not, that's, that was not the best thing. And I need to be doing the basic work of a pastor, according to the scriptures, which is prayer and ministry of the word. And if I'm neglecting those central duties commissioned to me and commanded me from Jesus in his word, then I'm not doing something right. And I'm kind of being sucked into this other thing that may be called Christianity, may be called 
and even being used by God in some great things. I mean, God is working in me in spite of me. He's worked in you in spite of you and in spite of our less than biblical models. We always try to be more and more faithful to God's word. But at some point, something that felt like just snapped. So explain for my listeners, when was the light bulb moment? And I'm just curious for you where you thought that wasn't good. I'm doing things differently when it comes to preaching. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say I, I had already unplugged from sort of mainstream Christianity by this point. So I did not know about the Ed Litton thing. I actually okay. did not know about that until wow. two days ago. I learned about this two days ago. Wow. So uh, I was reading, uh, there's like a, I don't know, it's like a blog that basically sounds the alarm on false preachers or whatever. So I was mm-hmm. like reading through that and I was like, oh, the Ed Litton guy or whatever. I don't, I don't know who he is. So I don't follow that stuff. But I did have a dream where uh, I was asked to preach at this big pastor's conference. And I showed up ready to preach at this conference. And when I looked out into the audience, the audience was full of celebrity pastors. It was like Mark Driscoll, Stephen Furtick, Perry Noble, uh, and then also Matt Chandler and like all the celebrity guys that you could think of ranging across, you know, theological spectrums and different movements. And I looked out there and I was standing on stage and this is a dream. Um, and in my dream, I couldn't speak because I had nothing to say because everything I would say, one of them wrote. Mm. And when I woke up, I woke up just kind of feeling like, dang, you, like you've got nothing to say. Mm. Everything you say is not what I've given you. It's not, it's not authentic. Um, and I wouldn't say everything. I mean, of course, like, it's not like everything I've ever done or ever written or ever preached came from somewhere else. But right, I think the right. general idea was like, I was relying so heavily on everybody else's playbook to do the ministry. And I think I realized through that, that my reason was because I felt like that my C level work wasn't acceptable enough. And mm-hmm. I needed to use somebody else's A level content to like make an impression on the world. Yeah. And I felt this addiction to, or a, an attachment to somebody else's A uh, man, it's just like being in college. I would look over the back of this kid that was sitting in front of me in Old Testament theology and copy his text yeah. because yeah. I'd rather have his A than my C. And um, I would be sitting right next to you doing the same thing, you know, like, <laughs> like what's going on? I remember, I remember one time, this is awful to my shame, but I remember it was like in a Bob Bales class on family ministry or something. And me, and I forget the guy that was sitting next to me, but Bob Bales would always walk out, give us this, you know, Christian ethics com- conversation before he would walk out of the room about why we shouldn't cheat. <laughs> and we would, would, I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but then we would literally look and, and just look the whole way through, just write out answers. And, you know, I would miss a few, just, it, just awful. Anyways, sorry, everybody. Yeah, yeah. But for some reason that was college. I mean, it was like everybody, everybody just cheated all the time. Oh, and it's like, I never learned my lesson, right? I never, I didn't, either I didn't get caught or something. I mean, I, Anyway, so I basically feel like uh, a lot of the motive or the drive for church growth is what kind of spawned me to think that I have to do all these clever things and copy all these people because what they did worked and what I might come up with won't work. And, um, I, you know, as a guy who grew up in an orphanage, my father committed suicide. My mother was a drug addict. Uh, I was adopted at like 16 years old. Man, I spent a lot of my childhood like just searching for acceptance and searching for love. And and I got adopted when I was 16. And my mom and dad who adopted me are amazing. They're good, godly people and they love me. Um, but I would say you can take the boy out of the orphanage. You can't take the orphan out of the boy. Mm. And, uh, there's just a, this part of my soul, the darkness in my heart or something inside of me that's just 
it's just thriving and, and striving for acceptance and approval. And I, when I started to see that a lot of my ministry activity was ultimately just a search for approval, uh, it just everything that I do just started to crash. Like none mm. of it matters anymore. And and if I can't learn to be just confident in who I am apart from acceptance and approval or viral stuff or likes and retweets and shares and all that, I just need to, I, I got to learn to be comfortable with myself in the shadows. And yeah. Um, so it did that kind of post because I was really ultimately one, just trying to just confess because I've got a lot of pastors that I'm connected to online and my church, they don't care. I, I've told them multiple times, like I would preach a sermon and say, ah, oh, copy this you know, or whatever, like the, the people that are following me and with me in this, they, they've, they've seen me deal with the pain of it, confess it, repent. And I often talk about times when I used to download sermons and stuff. So, but it was mainly, the post was mainly because I thought, I know there's some pastor friends out there who deal with this feeling that they, that what they put together isn't good enough. So I have to copy. Yeah. And I just believe that, a that an authentic C is way better than an inauthentic A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's a whole lot of freedom too, and understanding that we are heralds of the word. We are not presenters of biblical text in the sense that even to play on the words that you just spoke about not having anything to say, there is a real sense that the preacher has nothing to say. He only has the words of God to say. And so we don't use the Bible to preach and then gather a presentation around Bible verses. We are proclaimers of God's word. So in other words, preaching is not using Bible verses to preach. Preaching is preaching God's word. It's proclaiming what God has to say. So one of the things I've always, you know, challenged guys with is that, you know, good preaching is just saying what the text says, just say what it says that, and don't apologize about it, say it in the tone of the text and be in consistency with that tone and say what it says. That's what preaching is, is proclaiming God's word. You know, as you're talking too, I was thinking about, you know, it, it is, it's so, um, it's such a common thread, no matter what denomination, no matter what theological stream that you find yourself in, there is this common thread of performing as a pastor or results through ministry and finding your identity in that kind of thing. And those results may be different based on what measurables your denomination values or what you personally value. But one of the things that I've tried to just beat in my head continually by God's grace, is that, you know, the the greatest thing about who we are as men is not that we get to proclaim God's word, not that we get to shepherd God's people, but we are a child of God. And that is like, before I'm anything else, before I'm a husband, before I'm a father, before I'm a pastor, I am a Christian and I am bought by the blood of Jesus. And you and I are brothers in Christ. And that is the most important thing about who we are. And in pastoral ministry, it's the weirdest thing where most pastoral failures, you know, as the guys you've listed, and even before we were live here, just talking before we got hit the record button, it's like a lot of these guys that fall, it's directly connected to who they are as a man of God. And if they're not walking with the Lord humbly before God and others, pastoral failures, it, it's basic sanctification that gets almost everybody. It's basic Christian ethics, and it's a loss of the first love of following Jesus and basic spiritual disciplines real accountability, some of those basic things. And a lot of times those things are, you know, we get off track because there is that identity piece of trying to chase down the numbers, the measurables, those sorts of things. And pragmatics ends up getting in the way of faithfulness. And instead of God, I want to obey you and honor your word, what you've told me to do by your grace, I want to obey. And instead it's, I've got to get 
the, these results. I got to get people. I got to get people in the building. I got to get the numbers. I got to get baptisms. I got to get all this stuff. And uh, boy, that's seductive. Yeah. Yeah, it is, man. And it's really sad when you get when you're the pastor and you just baptize like seven people, but you're afraid to put that number out there because you're like ashamed. <laughs> oh, I only baptized seven today. Yeah. Well, because I mean, like you see, like, you know, like J.D. Greer post or something like that. And they're like, yeah, we planted seven churches today and we baptized <laughs> 10,000. <000." laughs> like, man, man, if we can, yeah. if we if we even have one baptism in a year, it's like pray. it's interesting, dude, because every ministry I've been a part of is very it's pretty small. And, and like this has been a unique season where we've seen some really great things at our church. And, you know, still yet numerically, I mean, now because I've been in ministry now. A long enough time you and I, I, you, I think probably right out of college you and I both are right in ministry so it's pretty young mm -hmm. I mean like 24 25 years old uh young by today's standards anyways um you know all these well, boomer guys actually, all, actually yeah. I didn't actually I watched you do it and I wanted to be kind of like I used to think to myself I used to listen to you preach I used to watch videos of you preaching with a hat on to a group and I don't remember <laughs> what the church was one of your early churches yeah and uh, you had a hat on and I remember thinking it was so cool because you were so chill and so authentic and people would walk in late and you'd stop your sermon and say hey what's up Ashley it's good to see you welcome come on in you know and it was like and I used to think man I want to do that so bad so so just so you know I was watching you two or three years before I ever even got into it gotcha well that's funny because I would never preach in a hat now but uh <laughs> but um you know you get into ministry um and man now I'm sidetracked thinking about preaching in a hat Sorry. but but uh thanks a lot bill um but uh okay let, let, let's read let's refocus here okay so what happened then is you, you, something happened with preaching and i noticed that and then i've noticed uh just recently just a couple days ago you you preached a sermon and on the back behind you it said verbal plenary inspiration and you were talking about the scriptures and you know you're in a pentecostal denomination or a continuationist denomination we went to pentecostal college together and one of the things that I grew up a Baptist, like a Baptist church. And one of the things that really got people excited was the subjective word of the spirit. You know, man, I want to hear from God. And the words hear from God were almost always disconnected from the scriptures. So I remember for me, when I first started preaching, like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? This is God's word. I've got something clear and objective and God's never silent to me. He's speaking. And the word of God is sufficient for anything that he would call me to. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can actually hear God speak. And yet for me, those like hearing God was never connected. It, at least it, if it was, it just went in one ear and out the other it was not connected to the scriptures. And yet here I am hearing you talk about, you know, wanting to be faithful to the word and not that necessarily you didn't want that before, but I mean, I, I would be willing to bet you weren't preaching on the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture pre COVID and uh, pre whatever the Lord has been doing here. And so explain that. And why is it important that your people, you know, in Holly Springs or your people that you're connected with are driven to the scriptures? Why is that so important for you? I learned through the time of COVID from watching people on Facebook and all the blogging and articles and stuff. Watching my own people as well. I learned that nobody really knows who Jesus is. They, they all have this different idea of who Jesus is and what his motives were and why he was here and what his purpose was and all that. And even people who are church going, faithful church goers for the longest time would, I think I put out a post that something along the lines of, Hey, can we stop arguing about the politics we disagree on? And can we just focus on the Jesus that we unite around or something along those lines? And somebody commented, well, your Jesus is different from my Jesus. Cause that's not my Jesus. 
or something like that. And I realized, like, I don't even know if they even read the Bible, if they even fully know. Like, there's like this idea of Jesus out there that everybody sort of embraces. And so that I started just kind of getting to a point where I was like, I've got to take people back to the foundational things of of our faith. And so this whole series I'm doing this month called Planted is really about that. Um, and I kicked it off with this sermon about like we build our lives from and through and out of God's word and we return to God's word and it's ultimately it's God's word that points to Jesus and uh, so that was why I brought it up somebody's questioned me a couple of weeks ago and asked me you know do you believe in inerrancy and it wasn't a question of like I want to confirm that you do it was a question of like an accusatory like yeah postmodern and I'm skeptical and do you believe in and um, so I was like, well, maybe I need to teach on this. And that, that's why I brought up, you know, verbal plenary inspiration, because I wanted to kind of at least give a foundational perspective to my church to know like, hey, this is like inerrancy gets a bad name because people talk so negatively about it. But this is ultimately what we believe. And, well, yeah. Amen. Um, and I wanted and I want people to, to, to put the, the Bible as the, you know, the, the supreme place in their life. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. I would have never preached that before because before I preached sermons that were about people in the room, not necessarily about God and Jesus in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that's part, that's one of the big switches I'm making is saying, and no, my sermon content and my subject is Jesus, the gospel, uh, the Bible. And it wasn't always like that, but it's just, it was so easy to build. It's so easy to build a sermon around you and how hard your life is and how painful right. things are and, and how God's here to heal your wounds. Right. Uh, and that yeah. was ultimately what I built everything around. Gotcha. Well, I love to see it, man. And I'm, it, you know, again, from looking from afar, I've always, it's weird because I've appreciated you, respected you and just watched and prayed for you. And it's not that I thought, boy, you're just, you know, way in left field ever, but we, we see some things differently, you know, like we were in different streams and, you know, my audience is probably the people that in your church have never heard of this show. It's not a big show anyways, but we just have, we just have run in different circles. But to see some of that stuff and to watch, it's an amazing thing to see that, you know, God can God can really direct us. And, and it's a good thing for pastors if we're in one way of ministry to step back and to pray and just be willing to change in any way we need to change. And what I've seen in you is that by God's grace, not according to even your own, own abilities, but there's been a good change and it looks like a good shift. And I think that's one of the things I wanted to, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is I want to be challenged and I want other people to be challenged and other pastors to be challenged to say, man, go back to the scriptures, be willing to reevaluate and ask the Lord redirect my steps. If I'm, if I'm going in a direction that isn't as healthy as I could be walking in, I mean, God, you're going to continue to use me, but if there's a, a better way to walk and if there's some things that need to be changed, then God helped me to do that. And that's what's been cool to see from the outside looking in is that there's been a willing a willingness to follow the Lord and to change some things up, even if it's not the most popular thing to your people. Because I can imagine, you know, and some of the things that you've said and some of the changes that, that's gone on at Oasis that some of the people are probably like, okay, wait a minute, you know, this is this is a little unique. What's going on here? And uh, and so has that been difficult for you? If, if you know, people have been coming to you in that way. How have you kind of walked them through? Okay, we're gonna we're gonna change some things up here from the way we used to do it. I, I just continually invite. I have had a lot of people notice some of these changes, and some love it, and some don't. The good thing about it now is I don't I don't give a rip. <laughs> yeah, 
I really, ultimately, I seriously just want to be faithful to the Lord. And yeah, I then, told a friend of mine, Philip, uh, you know, like a year ago that I was thinking about preaching. And he was like, no, don't, don't do that. Just, just blow it up on your way out. And I was like, what do you mean by that? He's like, just blow it up. And if it doesn't go well, I'll help you find a job. And if <laughs> the Lord moves and revival happens and you're good. And I said, all right, I'm giving it, I'm going to preach every Sunday. Like my, like my job's on the line and yeah. you know, I'm putting it out there. So people have noticed, people have uh, I've had, you know, some, some accusations say I come off as arrogant in some ways. I, you know, I, the last, the last, that's the last thing I want is to come off as, as if I'm not humble or, or as if I'm like that guy that knows everything now and I'm going to tell everybody off or something. So I'm trying to be really thoughtful and really like methodic in my approach to this. Um, but I, I really am trying to shake, shake it up in a way that gets people attention to say hey yeah. things are different and mm -hmm. there's a change and a lot of people have noticed uh and are following and interested and so i've anytime i engage in a conversation where someone says you've changed whether that's in a positive or an accusatory way i see that as my cue to invite them to join me hey awesome. join me on this journey like let's mm -hmm. do this together let's just get to know god in his word and let's be a gospel-centric church mm -hmm. um and and even pointing out some of the errors, like even leaders around me, like godly people who have I've poured into for years, who I've taken into these conferences and said, this is what we're going to do and why and all that. I'm having to like dig into their roots and it's uncomfortable and there's some mm -hmm. hard conversations being had. Um, but but I'm committed to this and I, I want to see us make this turn. Um, I went to this conference. It was a story brand thing with Don Miller, Don, Donald Miller, like two years ago. And I was like, I got a story brand, everything. And then like, then like three months ago, I realized like, wait a minute, Jesus is supposed to be the hero, not my consumer. You know, like uh, yeah. I'm not building a business here. I'm building a church. And Man. I started showing people in my staff, like I started showing my team, like, do you hear this message? Yeah, it's so amazing. Okay, what was it about? Who was the hero? Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to help people see like, that we've, we've got to swing back away from this like modern, um, marketing way that we can let's like really focus in on who Jesus is and, and, and the cross. And, Amen. That's good, dude. That's good. Okay. Two final questions. And one of them is going to going, uh, going to go back to a point that we were talking about earlier in the conversation. And then the second one is what I ask everybody at the end of the show. And it's just really to set you up every week. I tell, tell people this to set, set you up to praise God for his grace. But the first question is uh, it relates to what you guys dealt with for having to be virtual for 15 months. How important is it for a local church? When, but dude, when we first got into ministry, it was the rage. Don't own a building, go into a school, rent somewhere, don't have that overhead of having a building. And then COVID happens. And then everybody's like, oh man, we really need to have a building. We need some own space. So how important is it for you guys? I know you guys are getting in the building process, but how important is own space for your assembly, for your church? Yeah, it is it's more important now than it ever has been previously. And the reason is because we have a 15 day clause in our contract with our school that says you got 15 days to get out. If we tell you to get out for any reason. Wow. So, no, there's no long-term agreement here. Um, but we, you know, we also spent over $10,000 a month for eight years to have a school on Sundays. Um, and all that money went to the public school system, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, and balance it but just, uh, 
I would say do for, for any pastor leader out there, do what makes the most common sense for you and your church culture and your context. You know, there are people out there who, who can do it in a house, you know, roll with that. No way I could put 400 people in a house. Right. So, um, I, but in our town, you know, I didn't have any abandoned warehouses or no real good options. I could have done out, outdoor services, but I mean, I feel like I would have limited my opportunity to actually connect with people emotionally by doing it outdoors for a full 15 months because rain and sun and all that, uh, I can't expect baby Christians, which I do have a lot of, to have the same sense of like endurance of all things to come to mm -hmm. my church when I can at least put something in front of them online and I have the technology for that. So I just encourage people to do what makes sense for you and, and what you feel like the Lord's saying to do through prayer because we're not all cut out of the same cloth and we don't all have the same uh, situation. So, um, but for yeah, me, definitely, bro, own some space if you can. If it's possible to buy, buy. Don't fall into the trap. And I tell people too, like, even if you build a church that's only for Sundays, like this whole flex space, community space, churches shouldn't build buildings, you should share them, et cetera. I mean, that's a cool thing and all, but like, if we built a building that was just for Sunday morning gatherings, that was just for the faithful believers, that's worth it, right? Like, build a building building build a church buy some just to worship because that's the purpose yeah that's good man all right final question bill why do you love jesus so much brother man when i was when i was a teenager um i was reeling from being abducted from my mom we lived in a trailer park in on an indian reservation right outside of maxton north carolina um, and these detectives showed up with guns. Uh, they took me and they took my brother and uh, my sister and they put us in uh, into foster care. And I had no clue how bad I had it at that time because growing up, life was normal. But my teachers saw bruises and they saw neglect and they reported it. And that was ultimately what landed us in foster care. And so as a teenager, as a kid, moving into teenage years, um, I was stripped of everything I knew to be normal. And I didn't grow up in church. I had never, as far as I could remember, ever even been to church. Mm. Uh, the children's home that took me in called the Falcon Children's Home, they, uh, they're a Pentecostal home for children. Um, 70 or so kids live there. And uh, I moved in there and slowly man the staff the people there began to love me and share christ with me and pray with me and teach me about jesus and um when i was 14 maybe 13 uh, my birth father committed suicide he had just got out of prison he had done a seven-year stint for assault and after he committed suicide i i had this like moment in the shower i remember crying i used to cry in the shower because i didn't want anybody to see me and I stood in the shower with tears flowing down my face and I was crying because I knew I wouldn't have a father. Uh, but I had heard so much about Jesus and I had heard so much about God, the father and all this, but I, I had never had any moment where I like said, okay, I'm, I'm all in. Um, but in that shower, I just sensed like an overwhelming feeling that God would be my father. And I don't know how to describe it other than to say, I, I don't think the Lord spoke to me, but the Lord was speaking to me through me. Mm -hmm. There was something yeah. inside of me that recognized that and, and then also knowing that God had 
provided people like Mark Whitfield and John Gibson and Dean Strickland, these are all names of just men uh, who were like a father to me. Um, and so after I got out of the shower, I went and laid in my bed and I prayed and I prayed that prayer that I had heard over and over at church and stuff where they took us to church and I surrendered my life to Jesus. Mm. And, um, started to read my Bible and started to ask questions and get to know the church and uh, sort of recognize where, where, where I would have made a decision that was wrong. I chose to do the right thing. I started to see my character change. I started to repent of sin. Um, and at an early age, just felt like I was God's and mm. God was my. Um, awesome. And so Praise that God. was, yeah, man. So that's, that's, that's my salvation story. And then, you know, from then until now, man, I've had a lot of times through life where I just, I've had to be reminded that God's faithfulness to me then. And I've had to be reminded that I know how to confess and repent and pursue Jesus. Yeah. And uh, so this whole, you know, last 20 years from since then, 25 years since then has been a journey, but yeah, really God's grace in my life. Well, this is good, man. It's been good to catch up and I'm so thankful you came on the show and uh, just appreciate it. Guys, we've been listening uh, to Pastor Bill Rose. Bill, thanks so much for coming on the show. Absolutely, man.